Hello and welcome to All Things Small Business, brought to you by DAU. I'm Ken Karka, DAU Small Business Learning Director. This series is offered as a continuing dialogue between government, industry, and academia on acquisition-related issues that impact small businesses who support the critical defense industrial base. Let's join today's conversation. Welcome to All Things Small Business. I'm your host, Anthony Rotolo, and this is the show where acquisition and small business meet. We bring together business owners, contract experts, policymakers, and stakeholders, and we explore the issues facing small business and acquisition professionals as they work together to overcome challenges in a government and defense context. With me for today's discussion is Christopher Clark. He's an attorney at the Small Business Administration Office of Procurement Law. He's been there for over a decade. He's worked with all of SBA's procurement programs and also with implementing SBA's regulations into the FAR. Chris, if I can call you Chris, welcome. Welcome to All Things Small Business. Uh, Happy to be here. Well, thank you. Very happy to have you with us today. Today, we're going to focus on the subject of limitations on subcontractors. So to that end, I want to start us off by asking if you could provide an overview of the CFR, that's the Code of Federal Regulations, and how the FAR, that's the Federal Acquisition Regulation, addresses limitations on subcontracting. Oh, I'd be happy to. So we start with the Code of Federal Regulations, but really the starting point is it's a provision in the Small Business Act. It was passed by Congress. And the basic of it in the statute is we take uh, whatever we uh, award a prime contract. The next part is we want to assure that the benefits of that prime contract, meaning the most of the money are if it's restricted to small businesses, we want to make sure that that money is going to small businesses. So the statute has what's called a limitation on subcontracting, which is we understand that there's going to be some subcontracting, probably a lot, but we want to put a limit on where that subcontracting goes. So most of the money has to flow to small businesses and not to other than small businesses, large businesses. So the next part is we have the Code of Federal Regulations, 13 CFR, Part 125. That's where it's located. And what we did is we take SBA takes the minor statement by Congress saying that we want some limitations on subcontracting, and we basically craft policy out of that. Um, Without getting too into the weeds about exactly everything in 13 CFR, I will point out it's 13 CFR 125.6. That entire section is about limitations on subcontracting. There's a lot of detail. There's examples. Um, I highly recommend everyone that's in the contracting community to actually go read it um, because the examples are there um, and I think helpful. So what we have is for different types of contracts. So we have, we break contracts down into three different types, service contracts, construction contracts, and manufacturing supply contracts with another caveat for what we call specialty trade construction. And each one of those has their own percentage and own rule for the amount of contracting that can be subcontracted out to other than small businesses. Usually and roughly it's 50%. And then the next part of that is how does that rule, that statute and that rule by SBA get implemented into the FAR and into contracting? And the primary way that it's implemented is the limitations on subcontracting clause that gets inserted into the contract. 
So what you'll have with that clause is when you do a set-aside over a certain threshold, you'll be instructed by the FAR to input this clause, um, and the clause will have the relevant thresholds depending on the type of contract that you're using. So the rule gets put right into a clause, gets incorporated into your contract. Went really quickly, um, covered a lot, but does that kind of tell you what it is and how it's implemented? Yes, I think it does. Now, there's also, it's the FAR 52.219-14. Can you explain what that specifically is and how that relates? That is the FAR clause. There's a little discussion in part 19, which is the general small business section, about limitations on subcontracting. But the main portion of what's important is that clause. So yeah, that's just the clause. When you do a small business set aside, um, that gets inserted into your contract and it becomes a term of the contract like any other term. And it sounds to me like what gets inserted is based on the contract type. You mentioned service contracts and other kinds of contracts. That's correct. And it's pretty clear to everybody in the clause for the most part. So it's one clause, but it's different parts depending on what type of contract, but it's pretty clear which ones apply. Now, how do similarly situated entities apply to the subject of limitations on subcontractors? So the basic rule, and there's lots of other percentages, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just for the sake of this, use the 50% because that's the base for service contracts. It's what most contracts will be. So for most contracts, the limitation on subcontracting for will be 50% of the value of the contract. So I like to use round numbers. So if it's a $100,000 contract, $50,000 has to stay with the prime contractor and you can 50 and 50,000 can be subbed out. So the primary beneficiary of the contract would be the small business award the prime contract. So that's the general rule. What a similarly situated entity is, um, and I'll get into it in a little bit more detail just because it can get a little bit confusing, is if you're a small business and it's a small business set aside and you subcontract it out to four other small businesses, all small business subcontractors count to reaching the 50% threshold. Um, So basically what that means is the 50% can be made up of the prime contractor's own, like what they kept themselves, or if they subcontracted it to another small business. So basically what it really boils down to, as I like to say, is that 50% pie or portion isn't the prime contractor's portion. It's the small business portion, whether prime or sub, is kind of what similarly situated does to it. So I am going to get into like a little bit of a confusing part here, uh, but I think I, I want to get into it because it comes up a lot and I get a lot of questions on it. Is that okay? Absolutely. Okay. So SBA has, along with just having uh, set-asides for small businesses, we have set-asides for our what we, we call them our socioeconomic programs. So that's um, 8A Business Development, um, Hub Zone, Women-Owned Small Business, um, and service-disabled veteran. And so we get a lot of questions with how does similarly situated apply when we have all these different socioeconomic um, categories? So the way it applies is it's not based on the company that's awarded the contract. It's based on the different parts of the Small Business Act authorized different restrictive contracting procedures, what we call set-asides. So if you're, you, it depends on what set-aside you do. So if you do an 8A contract, meaning it's an 8A competitive or an 8A sole source, similarly situated has to be another 8A. If you do hub zone, they have to be a hub. If it's a hub zone contract, it has to be hub zone. What it doesn't mean is if you do a small business set-aside, 
and the company also happens to be a hub zone, it doesn't mean that similarly situated means small and hub zone on a small business set aside. So similarly situated isn't determined by the prime contractor. It's determined by the type of um, restrictive contract. Hopefully that makes sense. Because it says similarly situated, that's what the statute says. Sometimes people will assume it means we're basing it on they have to be exactly like the prime contractor. And that's not that's not accurate. They have to be similar to the set aside. So it's small business set aside, all small businesses. So I just wanted to cover that. Well, I'm sure that's going to be very helpful to people who are actually working with these concepts and making them practical in their contracts. I want to pivot here and shift gears. There's something called the Federal Funding Accountability and Transparency Act, or the FFATA. I want to understand the role of the small business professional and the role of the contracting officer with LOS compliance and that FFATA reporting? That's a bit of a mouthful of a question, but I just want you to explain how the limits on subcontracting and that FFATA reporting come together, what they, what they mean for the small business professional and contracting officer. So it's, it's interesting because they're not related in terms of they're not tied to each other. They're two independent acts. So the Federal Funding Accountability and Transparency Act is a general requirement on reporting contract awards. Um, and then there's another section of that that has requirements for reporting sub-award data. So what you would be thinking about is requirement to um, report into a database who your subcontractor is and how much you're paying them. And then in terms of the role, it's kind of the role that everybody has that's involved with. It's a requirement. Um, and just making sure that the contractors are doing everything that they're required to do. This one's a little bit different because it's kind of ancillary to the contract. It's just a general requirement that all contractors have. So it's just it's just another compliance measure that everyone has to make sure our contractors are compliant with. Now, Chris, there's the Department of Defense Inspector General to consider. I uh, wonder if you could discuss the findings and recommendations of the DODIG as, as it relates to this subject. So yeah, as people may be aware, the Department of Defense Inspector General recently did a, a pretty large audit of small business limitations on subcontracting across different components of DOD. Um, one of the things I will like to I do like to highlight first off for everybody that reads it, because sometimes it can be confusing when you get an IG audit. Um, one of the first things that they found is most small business con- and it, I like they put it in big things is most small business contractors complied with the subcontracting limitations. So that was like the underlying thing is the small business, like there was a term in the contract, there was this rule, most small businesses were complying with it. That said, what it also found is that as a matter of course, there wasn't like standard procedures within DOD for ensuring this compliance and documenting the the compliance. So you can think about it like a certain way is, you basically had every like a lot of people following the rule, but nobody actually like collecting any information to show that they followed the rule, if that makes sense to you. Um, and that ties into um, what we talked about just previously with the reporting requirements for the transparent the transparency reporting requirements is a lot of the data wasn't um, uploaded and, and recorded properly by the co- prime contractors. So while they did meet this one requirement, they also had this other requirement that they were supposed to meet that they weren't meeting. So one of the recommendations, um, there was a a lot, but the overall recommendations 
is really just having a set of procedures and clear guidance and oversight for contracting personnel so that they are monitoring the prime contractor's compliance with the small business clauses and with their reporting requirements. So it was overall, the recommendation was having clear guidance on documenting what happens in your contract and ensuring all the different aspects of reporting and everything else are, are handled in somewhat a uniform way. Um, one of the things that they found, and this is always problematic, is different components. Uh, some components were doing it one way, some components were doing it another way, and kind of having a more uniform approach. So one, it's uniform for all the contracting personnel, but also uniform for small businesses. So when they're dealing with multiple um, components of DOD, they're, it, it's a pretty uniform way in which they meet these requirements. And then did want to mention that there was a recent DOD um, a memo on this. What was this issued? It was just issued July 19th, 2022, issued by Defense Pricing and Contracting. And that goes through kind of like the very high level implementation of kind of like the way to put this is a uniform policy across all of DOD addressing the concerns raised by the audit. I see. So, you know, that brings us to the question of monitoring from the contract officer perspective. How can LOS be monitored? So this is one of the things. So I come from SBA. Um, and so the way that SBA crafted the rule and the way that we we approach this rule is it really is a matter of contract administration. SBA doesn't believe that there's a one size fits all like way to monitor and do oversight for this across all agencies. Every agency should do it a little bit differently. So if you look at like what the response was to, you know, the IG report, it is an oversight function, which means it's checking and documenting it, making sure you looked at it. And, and that's it. And then the other thing is you should be checking and confirming that everything was done. And then if you have reason to believe a con contractor isn't in compliance, that's when you have, you know, the ability to go and ensure compliance and that there'll be procedures there for you to do so. So the first step is just knowing that it's a requirement that has to be, you know, documented. The next is making sure it's documented. And then if you have questions, following up with your contractor. And everybody's going to be do it a little bit differently. Like a very large contract is going to have a different way to do it than others. Um, I will say like SBA, we recently changed our rule um, in 13 CFR which is so, and this is just, and it's open, it's discretionary, it's not required um, of any contracting officer. But basically what we said is you can ask for them to demonstrate their compliance, The basically the contractor. So if you have a question, it's, you know, you have a regulatory hook to go to the contractor based on 13 CFR. It's discretionary um, and it's there to use if you want to. So that and that's a recent change. Yeah. So it sounds like we're agnostic about how it gets done, but the key takeaway is that monitoring ought to be done by the contracting officer just, again, to ensure that compliance. That, that's the main thing is there's not one right way to do it. It's exactly what you just said. It's just documenting the compliance. As the IG report said, most of the small businesses were complying with the requirement. The government just wasn't documenting that accomplishment and recording it and monitoring it. So that's the first step is just getting the monitoring of it done. So yeah, this is very helpful. This the whole overview. You stepped us through it pretty efficiently. For folks who want to get a deeper dive, what SBA resources or training are available on limitations on subcontractors? 
So the main method for SBA doing like general contracting training is we have this ongoing thing. It's called the First Wednesday um, series, and it's open to everybody. It's run out of our Office of Government Contracting. If you're not aware of it, you can contact SBA's Office of Government Contracting. You can contact, you should know the name of your um, procurement center representative. Um, You can ask them and they can give you the information for each call and multiple different topics will come up and you can always ask them to add a topic. Um, I've done a training on limitations on subcontracting in the past. So you can also maybe find that those are recorded so you can find the recording of it. The other thing is you can request contracting personnel um, can request through. I recommend there's a lot of different ways to do this. Um, Usually the best way is through a PCR. You can request training from SBA depending on the size of the unit. I'm the one that does the limitations on subcontracting training. So I tend to want, it's easier to do a larger group. So it's just the method of how you get in touch, uh, usually through a PCR. Every agency is a little bit different. You can also go through your the Office of Small Business Programs. Um, I'm not sure if they have it set up that way, but the other other agencies' equivalent office will request training through what's called the Small Business Procurement Advisory Council. It's called the SBPAC. That's something that's run by SBA, and it's kind of a coordination of small business stuff. So whatever is easier for you, either go through the Office of Small Business Programs and SBPAC or through your procurement center representative. And just ask. And SBA is happy to do training whenever we're requested. Fantastic. Thank you. It sounds like small businesses are supported. There is information. There are resources at the ready. I often say, and I I think of the small business owner as arriving at the doorstep of this labyrinth called the government. And our job here is to help show them the way. It sounds like you're doing that on this topic as well. Chris, I want to thank you for your time today. I wonder if you have any parting thoughts for us before we go. Um, my only parting thought would be is if you're if you're unsure about a small business issue, just ask SBA. We're happy to help. That that's some of these issues can be really strange. So just ask for help. Just ask. Just reach out. We're always happy to provide help and guidance. Fantastic. Well, with that, Chris, I want to thank you again for your time today. Again, that's limitations on subcontractors. Sounds like there are a lot of good resources available for the folks listening. But thank you again, Chris, for your time. Once again, happy to help and thank you for inviting me. Thank you again. This is Ken Karkoff once more. I want to thank our guests for participating in today's conversation. Your insights and perspectives will surely help our listeners. And an invitation to our listeners, if you'd like to participate as a guest in a future conversation, please reach out to me at kenneth.carcuff at dau.edu. Till next time, stay engaged and collaborate across your networks. Everyone's talents and skills are needed within the defense industrial base as we fulfill the national defense strategy together.